0: I'm Chris Epting, and this is In the Pipeline, a Huntington Beach podcast. There's a new book that just came out called Naked Truth, The Fall and Rise of Donna Spear. Now, you may not know who Donna Spear is, but you're going to learn about her in this edition of In the Pipeline. A little bit about the book. Naked Truth takes you from the depths of child abuse, drug and alcohol addiction, being preyed upon by sexually deviant men like Bill Cosby, to the rarefied world of international modeling and global jet-setting, a Playboy centerfold photographed by the world-famous Arnie Freitag, to be the star of seven Andy Sedaris action-adventure films, and that's just really the beginning of Donna Spears' life journey toward recovery. Her book is a Study of Survival, a provocative, powerful blueprint of how to not just survive, but also to recover and thrive. Donna Spear is 32 years sober and CEO of Recovery Coaching Experts. She has mentored hundreds of women with substance abuse and behavioral issues. She has also founded Women's Recovery Homes, and her book will help others learn how to identify the traits of sexual predators and prevent your child from falling for their persuasive charms. Donna's experiences can help women understand and survive the social, social, Physical and emotional aspects of substance abuse and lead a peaceful, complete, whole, and safe family life. Naked Truth is a cautionary tale to be sure, but it's also a triumphant one filled with many uplifting, exciting stories of perseverance. Now, that's what's been written about the book. I will tell you though, as the person that co wrote the book with Donna, um, I, I think I have a lot of insights toward it, but nothing like what Donna can provide, which is why she's my guest today and in the pipeline. I first met Donna about two years ago. Um, she had become familiar with a book that had co-written with another local woman named Shirley Babishoff, who, like Donna, coincidentally, had attended Fountain Valley High School back in the 1970s. Donna was looking to tell her story, and we got together and began kicking it around a couple of years ago. And the book just out from Miniver Press, which you can find on Amazon.com, among other places, is something that um, was a very painful process for Donna. And for me, too, at times, I mean, writing a book like this is a very, if you don't know like how the collaborative process works like this, it's almost like becoming someone's therapist when you write with somebody and you... Um, You become part of their journey. They sort of carry you along, and you're there to sort of take the proper notes and just figure out how to tell a story like this, which is not an easy story to tell. There are a lot of moving parts. When you work with somebody, I've always found that um, people either want you to write their book for them or they want you to help them write their book. And, and with Donna, it was the latter. She really wanted to be involved in the creation of her book, and her writing skills got better and better and stronger and stronger as this process continued. And I'm really proud of what she got to at the end of this process once we delivered a final manuscript. I thought it would be good to talk to Donna because, again, she's a Huntington Beach story. She grew up in this area. She lives in Northern California today, but she's down here frequently, and, and her life, you know, the early years, that really make up the the centerpieces of this book were spent in Huntington Beach and Fountain Valley. And so you're going to hear our conversation now. Now, near the end of our talk, after we discuss the book, we do get into kind of local contemporary issues. Since Donna has been very involved in helping young women get off the street and, and help recover, Um, We all know that today Huntington Beach, like a lot of other cities, uh, is dealing with a a large homeless situation that has really polarized the community. There are no easy answers, obviously, but uh, at the end of this conversation, Donna and I talk about um, what she thinks some solutions might be, and why we're in this this situation that we are today. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. We met at the Harbor House in Sunset Beach. Uh, the reason I chose that place is there's a series of uh, moments in the book that that wind up at the Harbor House back in the early '80s when Donna is probably at the the wildest part of her life. She will subsequently wind up there in the middle of the night uh, to to try and you know feed away some of the the hangover. For the next morning, by eating food after a long night of drinking, and she had a lot of uh, just crazy situations in the Harbor House. So we took a little booth there today and, and sat and had this conversation. You're going to hear. I hope you really enjoy it. I know that I did. I always love talking to Donna, and now that the book is finished, we can really kind of take a step back and uh, and and present it for you and, and allow you to to you know eavesdrop here on conversations like this. So without further ado, here is Donna Spear along with myself today at the Harbor House Cafe talking. About about our new book, Naked Truth. <laughs> Alright, so Donna, we're sitting here in the Harbor House, Harbor House Cafe, right? And we're at this back booth. We're gonna jump around a little bit, but this place has a part in the book, right? What take me back to when you might have been in here on some insane night back in the early eighties and what, what was going on in your in your world then. And I'm gonna eat too as you talk, so go ahead. <laughs>
1: It probably would have looked something like this. After last call at the Red Onion across the street, we would run across Pacific Coast Highway, try not to get hit, stagger in the front door, my girlfriends and I maybe with some guy that we drug with us, grab a table and eat omelets, and laugh hysterically, dressed like Madonna with Gloves that had the fingers cut out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this time in your life, at that time in your life, this is after mm-hmm. Bill Cosby. This is probably even after, is it after Playboy Centerfold? I was a playmate, absolutely. At that time?
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely. And everybody at the bar knew it.
0: What was it like, okay... For those that don't know, you grew up in Fountain Valley, but you spent a lot of time on Huntington Beach. Absolutely. So this area here today, by Pete's Landing, down in Sunset Beach, this is all your old stopping ground, right? This is
1: home. This is my home. That's where I grew up. This is me.
0: You told me when you got, we met here a few minutes ago, you said that you were on Main Street today, and you kind of got reflective about the old days in Huntington? What what hit you when you were in the city?
1: So I walked off of Main Street. I was looking for, because everything's changed down there. And I walked off of Main and I walked behind. I was looking for some of the little cottages that were still remaining, that hadn't been built out yet. And I was looking at them and I was thinking how when I was a kid, I'd skateboard all over the place. I'd ride my beach cruiser. And I remember how we could go from house to house because I knew everybody who lived there.
0: In the 70s, you're talking about.
1: Right, right. Or I'd go by Jack's or George's on Main Street, and there were surfers who lived up above, and I'd always wave to the surfers, and they'd be hanging out shirtless with their long hair. Or, you know, George was actually in George's. Or that... um, Anyway, so I was walking by... And I had the smell of oil.
0: Today you smell that. Yes.
1: Of the actual horses of the oil wells. And I hadn't smelt that smell in years and that reminded me of home. It was amazing. I hadn't smelt it since I was a young girl. And that reminded me of Huntington Beach. All
0: right, what else did you see today in downtown Huntington that took you back?
1: Oh my gosh. Today on the corner of PCH and Maine, you guys have all those handprints that you didn't have before. The
0: Surfing Hall of Fame. Wall yes.
1: Of fame. Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. So those. All the ones there, those are all my time from when I was raised here. Those are all the people I knew, like Buddy Lamas was there, and Herbie Fletcher. I knew Herbie and Deeby when their kids were really young, and I guess now Herbie's son is like a huge surfer, and Corky Carroll was there. Corky, I went out on dates with, if you can <laughs> believe that. I know that's, that's how old I am, and who else was there? Um, Laird Hamilton. Laird and I did editorial work together for clothes in uh, Surfer Magazine. and who else was there? Kelly Slater, I said. Who else was in there? Did I say Kelly Slater? No. Oh, Kelly Slater, I knew. Who else was in there? Oh, I couldn't believe. I knew them all. I grew up with all those guys. Did you surf yourself? I tried it once. I tried it once on north side of the pier. I remember I caught a wave. I shut my eyes. I jumped down and laid on the board until I came into the sand. It was horrible. It was horrible. But I recently did learn to surf in Hawaii. Finally.
0: There's a scene in the book where it's a pretty crazy scene Now again, for people that haven't read it yet um, You're doing a lot of drugs at this point You're helping um, sort of traffic a lot of drugs around the county mm-hmm. And you end up on Main Street at an old head shop <laughs> Right, called the Raspberry Rose. Raspberry is no Roach. longer there
1: Absolutely But talk
0: about that, like that Huntington at that time What, what do you remember about that moment? Because that's a very heavy moment in the book but when you were describing it that You, you detailed that place very vividly oh, that absolutely, was the head shop
1: Absolutely, it was the only head shop And so the, that was the era of the Golden Bear And that was the era when Jan's health food store Was in the back of George's People don't remember uh-huh. that Where you could go in and get a nishi Wrapped in wax paper For probably about 50 cents And um, You know used to park parallel on main street (laughs) i mean this is a long time for free probably oh absolutely for free absolutely this is you know this is the way i was raised um and the raspberry roach was owned by a gal named jan and ross isn't this funny i remember the names of the owners and it was the only head shop and the liquor store that's right next door, that's still there, was there. And and the Raspberry Roach was kind of a seedy place that you didn't want to be seen going into or going out of. But yeah, I went in there a couple too many times. Absolutely.
0: I think that day you went there to buy glass pipes, right? Because you were...
1: I was smoking freebase And back then nobody smoked freebase That was like unforbidden I mean, smoking weed back then Would get you locked in jail You don't go to the dispensary Like you do now
0: Now, The point that gets you to that point Goes back a few years You go to Fountain Valley High School Mm -hmm. You sort of blossom in your sophomore year Become this extremely pretty girl attract a lot of attention And you're doing some modeling There's a there's a photographer in Huntington, Huntington, uh, Fountain Valley, rather, uh, father of a friend of yours, right? takes some liberties with you, sort of really begins this corrupt, um, behavior that you become sort of accustomed to. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Right. You know, it's funny. At that time, um, I was going to Fountain Valley High School. I was actually a pretty good student at the time. I was actually a really good student at the time. And, I had a boyfriend, and he used to have the green surf racks on his car, and used to surf in Huntington Beach early in the morning. And uh, I was going to school, and I met a girl who worked at Miller's Outpost in Fountain Valley. It was like a brand-new, shiny store there at the time. It was up and coming. And I went back to her house one morning on a Saturday morning because I had borrowed some clothes to go out on Friday night. And her dad had spotted me at her house and asked me, or talked to me about modeling and mentioned, hey, my daughter had mentioned that you want to be a model. And I remember thinking, I don't ever recall saying that. And it was kind of a guise for him to do something like that. And he took me up into his faux modeling studio upstairs and kind of showed me around that was kind of the beginning
0: of it i was 15 years old a little while maybe a year or so after that there's a neighbor of yours in fountain valley who plays tennis she plays tennis with bill cosby right in las vegas she was
1: a she was a tennis pro actually
0: cosby played a lot of tennis which people may remember
1: absolutely big tennis guy
0: and they're having this conversation in vegas and she you know Nicely, I guess, doing you a favor, mentions to him, hey, I've got a neighbor. She's really pretty. She's a model. This is her photo. Maybe you can help her career or something to that effect, right? Right,
1: right. I was no longer working with that photographer and she actually took my very, very first professional photograph to Cosby. I mean, as a, out of a, as a favor. I mean, it was right. like a very kind thing to do. I Even mean, in
0: 1979, which is about when this is, Cosby, even though it was before his big TV show in the 80s, he still thought of, because it was commercials, he was primarily th- as America's father. I mean, right. that's happening.
1: I right? mean, he was Coca-Cola. He was spokes- no, no, no. Exactly. Spokesperson for Coca-Cola. He was doing Fat Albert. He was... He was doing... The PBS
0: Kids show that,
1: Exactly. What was
0: it called? The um, picture...
1: But the, well, no, he was doing Captain Kangaroo, and he was doing a small little segment on Captain Kangaroo called Picture Pages. Picture
0: Pages, right.
1: Exactly. And so he was doing all kinds of children's things and performing in Vegas, and always, you know, he never drank, he never did drugs, he never swore, He never, when he did comedy, he never did racial. He wasn't
0: Richard Pryor. He wasn't. No, no. So he gets his photo and calls you like a day later. Calls your parents, right? Calls your mother.
1: Right, right. And he says, "What about Donna coming and doing a segment on Captain Kangaroo picture pages for us in Pittsburgh?" I mean, he's like as clean as soap basically and and why wouldn't i want to do captain kangaroo
0: and to set the table for people your parents are a little bit older you've got older siblings so in their view this is sort of great because here's something for you to do that's sort of career set something you know a path for you modeling or acting whatever and cosby's going to help out so what parent would sort of we see kind of this early grooming mentality right right?
1: and you have to remember I was already at it like um, maybe a year and a half a year and three quarters I've done some national commercials you know I've been up in LA I'm doing this I'm doing a lot of local stuff here and in Huntington Beach I mean you'd see me in Surfer Magazine doing clothes I've done like an OP Ocean Pacific commercial things like that you've seen me all over the place now so now it's a bigger step so why wouldn't I? And you know, like you said, my parents were older, so this would be like the next indicated thing for me to do. I mean, it was a break. Bill
0: it was Connell's a break. Like,
1: it was a break.
0: You go to Pittsburgh. He gives you this little bit part.
1: Right, easy as can be. I'm, I'm in my little sweats. I walk on. I I draw on the board. You know, it's. But a he also words.
0: takes you out that night drinking. Right? or it makes you're 16 years old yet. Yeah. He makes alcohol available to you, right? Knowing how old you are.
1: Right. It was like nothing. Of course. I was with the producer and his wife who were older. They had a son in college and they broke out frangelico, which I'd never had. It was like a sweet after dinner liqueur.
0: And not, I drank not that it. you were I mean, you drank a little already as a teenager, right? It wasn't like that was the first taste of alcohol you
1: know? No, no. But it was like I, I drank it. It was like would you like some and I'm like, I want to be adult. I want to be accepted. I want to, I want to fit in. I don't want to look like a kid now. I don't want to be a kid. Of course I do. <laughs> never want to be a kid. I never was a kid.
0: So you, you get drunk that night, right? Kind of., I think, I, or at least you have a few drinks.
1: I drank with- a lot that night, but I was drinking it with espresso. So, so it, it cut the Yeah, I really cut it.
0: But it gets weird pretty quickly because in just a day or so, he wants to bring you to Texas, right? For the, a, he's giving a performance.
1: The following day.
0: I'm, so at, the next I'm day. on
1: yes, I'm on so set. I'm on set. Now, the weird thing was, there was this girl with him, but I never thought anything strange. I mean, there was just this other girl on set doing what I was doing. And she was a blonde girl older than I was. And she was in college. She was going to UCLA. And he asked me if I wanted to go to Dallas to see him perform. And I kind of went, my first thought was, I need to ask my parents. So I look at him I go, I need to ask my parents. And he goes, I'll call your mom. And I'm like, okay. I, I was naive. I thought nothing of it. So he goes. It, it's
0: very much, it sounds like. the the documentaries with Michael Jackson recently this feels like a precursor to that where you take care of the parents you're wealthy you're one of the most famous people in the the galaxy and hear this you know uh, you know very modest income drawing family in Fountain Valley simple people innocent people um, get a a phone call from Bill Cosby so what are they going to
1: bizarre how How bizarre how are they going to say no to that my dad worked for McDonnell Douglas right off the 405 for 30 years what did he do there he was a warranty administrator he started on the assembly line you know he carpooled with the same three people
0: forever
1: i mean that is what you did in fountain valley that's i mean i was raised on talbert magnolia i lived there my whole life so when he calls my mom i mean He's just saying, hey, I'm going to take her to see a show, and then we're going to send her home. Not a big deal. What would they think? And so he goes, I'll call your mom. He calls him, Mom, would it be okay if I took her to see a show? I've got to go to Dallas. It's on the way back to California. And I'm like, wow. I'm just this nice, naive girl from California. So we go to set... And I look at this girl, and I go, hey, are you going to Texas with us? And she <laughs> shoots me this look and just gnarly out.
0: Yeah, she you, shoots, you probably cost her right. her trip to Texas. I
1: look. At, she looks at me and goes, no. But I didn't understand. I had no idea what was going on. None.
0: Without, okay, obviously with conversations like we're having right now, you don't, we don't want to tell the entire <laughs> book right. But suffice to say This first night Some things do happen between you and Cosby There is a physical relationship that begins Right? On, right. on the flight down And you're 16 years old He's how old at that time? 40, 42 42.
1: 26 year difference
0: And you're underage And he oh. knows this oh. He's feeding you alcohol And, and you, oh. sh- you share a very luxurious hotel very, suite that very night I was
1: drunk before I got on the plane very drunk
0: and and so begins this kind of two to three year um, experience that's you know it's on and off but it's on plenty of times where you guys are traveling and he's flying you mm-hmm. he, he ends up flying your family to places oh right? my
1: gosh yeah huge family vacations I mean
0: <sighs> and your parents never suspect that anything's going on beyond the, what they think
1: okay so I get that question a lot why? How could your parents not know? How could your mom not know? How could your dad not know? And the question really is: is why would they know? Why would they ever suspect?
0: You're not saying anything at that point. Oh
1: God, no! I no, no. Because and there's a couple reasons why I didn't. But let's go back to why would they suspect? Why would they? First of all. Let me let me let me straighten a couple things out. A, I never would have written this book had my parents been alive. Okay, that's the first thing. And none of my sisters or family knew until you and I wrote the article for Medium. And it wasn't until Bill Cosby had been um, convicted, I didn't come forward with my story. So back to the question was how my parents didn't know was because first of all I was 16 years old and he was 26 years older than me why would my parents ever suspect that an African-American man and a 16 year old child would get together and secondly most People back then and even now, well we're more conscious of it now, they suspect that a child molester or a sexual predator is somebody you don't know. It's that guy on the street with the trench coat. It's the guy that comes and nabs you in the car as you're walking home from school. It's you know, I think
0: w- what you're saying is really important because people forget, or people that weren't there in the late '70s, mm-hmm. this stuff wasn't talked about. Oh no! This was not like it is today, where our radar's always up, we're mm-hmm. hypersensitive to any, you know, grooming clues and all. This was not that time period. No,
1: and if I mean, you, and if you think about it, so the two sexual predators I had—the
0: first was photographer was in the Bill photographer
1: Cosby. who had been in my home this man hadn't
0: he also been like a fire captain was the or captain fire chief
1: of yes
0: so I mean these right. are these are these reputable are people
1: people right these are people you don't suspect these aren't the guys hiding out under a bridge that huh. are gonna nab your children these are people you know. These are your uncles, your fathers, your fire captains. These are people that are in the spotlight that talk to you on the phone. That come over. You automatically trust them. These are people that are your Cub Scout leaders. These are those people that you trust, and that's how they get to your children.
0: The more you, when you and I started talking about Mm -hmm. what you went through, what really got me, especially, and look, there's a lot more in this book than Bill Cosby. But oh, really, absolutely. But what got me at the Cosby stuff, because it's really where things start to go off the rails, is as you're traveling with him, as he's maybe getting you an occasional ad, he's doing just enough to keep you on the road, right? We're on the fishing line, Yeah, absolutely. the potential of work and all this. But as this is happening, you are becoming a teenage alcoholic. I mean, you are oh. drinking around the clock with him. And he doesn't care because he's getting what he wants and what he needs. Right. For those that don't know that a lot of the victims of his that came out, this is not that situation where he's drugging people and then and then raping them. This is a much more sophisticated grooming process where, you know, because you're becoming an alcoholic, your your guard is constantly down, your inhibitions are non existent at a certain point. And he's doing just enough in in delivering this exciting lifestyle for you. So as the years go on, you become an alcoholic as a result of his behavior.
1: Well, I believe I was predisposed alcoholic because I believe it is... But he
0: enabled...
1: Oh, absolutely. And also you have to remember the secrets, the shame I was carrying around because as, as a sexual victim, what happens is you take it on yourself. I should have known better. How did I get involved in this? Oh my gosh, my parents would die if they found out. How did this happen? This is my fault. I never should have gone to Texas. Why did I do this? Why, why, why me? Why am I behaving this way? What's wrong with me? I'm, I'm defective. Uh, I mean, It's all about me. It's never about the perpetrator, ever. Even with the photographer. If I only wouldn't have done this, if I never would have done that, if I didn't do this, if I didn't do that, if they find out, my parents will kill me. See, it's always about me. It's never about them, ever.
0: The other thing that you described to me that I found really interesting was that you and Cosby, through this period, it it sounds weird, but you, you become like friends. I mean, you have a... Like you get along to a to a degree where you're sort of like I mean you're traveling with him you are, people see you he doesn't hide you he has you in front of other executives and other celebrities I mean it,
1: it was it, it's a it, weird it's, situation it's, it's it, complex it's very very complex and it took years of therapy to unwind some of this stuff being with him changed some of my thinking patterns that had to be undone. Um and I think that happens to most abuse victims. I mean it's funny, I don't I I really dislike that word, but I've had to own it.
0: What word victim?
1: Victim and abuse victim. I've had to own it, but my thinking has changed. And remember Chris I talked to you about the day they took me away in handcuffs. Um It's hard it, It's very complex It's very, very complex
0: Well, I think it's part of the reason That we wrote this book Absolutely. I think part of it is to help you make sense of it And just to sort of get it on the table Finally and organize right. it in a meaningful way right. So that you can deal with it And you can talk to people about right. it And help them deal with it Because this stuff does relate to a lot of different kinds of people I, don't, I can't tell you how many people That when they found out I was working on this with you So you know what, I was an abuse victim You know, and it did this to me and it did that to me. And it's amazing how many people live in the shadows with that experience.
1: Oh my gosh, I get so many emails and so many messages on social media of women going, I got through 11 pages and I'm sobbing. I'm sobbing. Thank you. I can't put the book down. I cannot put the book down. And I said, finish it, finish it. And then they finish it and they go, oh my gosh, you're so triumphant. I cannot believe you went through what you went through and all the things you've done since then. It's amazing. If you can do it, I can do it. And, you know, it's, yeah.
0: As Cosby, in the midst of that relationship, you develop another relationship with a guy in Orange County, a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. You end up entering his side of the business, essentially, <laughs> right? And you're, oh, yeah. You're driving around tons, literally, right? Literally tons of, 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 of dope around the county.
1: In a truck. In a truck. In hefty trash bags,
0: while you without
1: are, a camper shell, on the twenty two freeway, on the four hundred five freeway, absolutely. Th- this is
0: while you're you're still seeing Cosby. You're, you've got double, triple, quadruple lives happening. You, you know, this is while you're still going to to high school uh, to some degree, right? And you're you're seeing Cosby. You're da- dating this guy. You're dealing drugs. I mean, I don't know. I think people that I know that have read the book so far, they're amazed that you're you're sitting here. Today, even to even have this conversation. You're looking at the book now. What are you looking at? You know
1: for? what? There's. I would love. Donna to
0: grabbed a copy. I have a stack of these books next to me here at the Harbor House, and Donna grabbed a copy, and you're looking something up.
1: I would love to read. Which part? You know, I would love to just read. Uh, there was this one uh, part in the book I would love to read that's just. I remember writing it, and it was just which part is it? it's about the drug it's about the drug dealer and i think it's right here hold on oh here it is okay here we go i was freebasing seeing cosby snorting blow trying to model selling weed all the while keeping everybody a secret juggling 20 different lies cosby didn't know about rick rick didn't know about cosby i did drugs with rick not with cosby <laughs> Every couple of months, when Cosby invited me on the road, I'd usually go. My mom didn't know about the cocaine or my relationship with Cosby. My my parents hated Rick, but parents wouldn't? And I was more out of co- control than ever. That wasn't it. <laughs> but that that's was pretty good, pretty, though. But, but that that's was pretty bad. That,
0: but but that paints a pretty solid yes. picture of what's happening. And and somehow you manage to to stay alive. But it's it's the cocaine addiction that really really <laughs> takes you down the. Into the the bleakest depths of of what you went through then, right?
1: Yeah, that that pretty much sums it up. No one knew anything that was going on in my life. You know, i i was I was very busy back then. I was very very busy. No one knew what I was doing. I was leading three different lives, and it was it was rough. It's amazing I I lived through all of that.
0: Now, as this goes on, situa- situation with Cosby. Again, he's got your family very involved But you do have this drug addiction now And you're an alcoholic You finally hit bottom Probably a couple of levels beneath bottom
1: Absolutely You wind
0: up in a care facility over an orange Care unit
1: of orange, right off Chapman
0: and, and so that's where the Cosby thing Kind of kind of ends Once you come through mm-hmm. This horrific addiction Takes a couple of months and They
1: have to read the book I'm not telling them No, we'll save, that, yeah, part. Bitterly, yeah, that, because save that part Yeah, that's pretty hideous It yeah. is,
0: but, but after that you have this kind of rebirth in a sense Where the model and career things you had going on You had left behind through all this craziness You go back to it It's not really there for you anymore But this opportunity at Playboy Sort of presents itself Right Your agent sends you over there Kind of on a whim and a prayer, Right who knows?
1: Well, I had the deal was I pre-based myself down to 97 pounds, and the waif look wasn't particularly <laughs> popular then. <laughs> you know, so I got some weight back on me, and I ended up at Playboy. It's kind of a fluke, and you can read about that one.
0: But you do become a centerfold. I, I mean, you become, I, absolutely,
1: I become Playmate Centerfold. And it was nothing I ever thought I would. And boom, next thing you know, I'm in the play, pages of Playboy, and... Then next thing you know, I'm doing movies. Well,
0: this this is what's interesting because now you you sort of you're sober in the hospital, but you come out of that, and then once the Playboy thing hits, you revert back to to, to your ways to a degree. Yeah. Start drinking again, and this is where the book takes a very dramatic turn because uh, you get out of control again. Yeah. And, and it's where we're talking how we started out talking about here at the Harbor House. These are the moments now when you're hanging out here. Yep. Because you're still living in Fountain Valley to some degree. You've got a problem. over I'm all over the place the
1: because now I'm with Playboy and I'm traveling. And I'm traveling here and I'm signing autographs and now it gets really crazy. Because you add Playboy Center and alcoholic together and it's combustible. <laughs> <laughs> I it's ugly. And I'm on the road with all these girls and, you know, I'm running hard in Orange County and I'm running hard in LA and I'm running at the Playboy Mansion and it gets
0: pretty I'll During that time, were you in touch with anybody from your youth in Huntington or Fountain Valley? Or were you completely cut off? Did you have any connection? We were talking about Main Street before in and, and Huntington uh, and Fountain Valley. Like, was that that point in your life? It, you was, s- it
1: was hard because I was traveling, but my folks still lived in Fountain Valley. So I would come in and I would stay in Fountain Valley. I had a little apartment in Costa Mesa Off Orange and something So I had a little place there for a while Then I was living in Santa Monica And I'd, you know, I'd pop and leave stuff At my parents' house in Fountain Valley So, I, you know, I was all over the place But this is or, This has always been home for me This has always been home
0: When you, um Finally get You're sober now, 32 years? 32
1: years, yeah
0: And you began to um, counsel other people this wasn't just about you Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about what you did in terms of uh, helping out other young women because this is again it's a big triumphant part of your book how you didn't just stop with yourself you actually extended yourself you found a home to help What's now been thousands of women, right? Over it's an t- part of your 2, story Over
1: 2,000 women have gone through Yes, I, I uh, founded a place called The Lynn House in Costa Mesa In fact, it's still open And I just went back on the board Of Great. directors, yeah
0: but what, but what made you want to go You know, it's enough to survive yourself To go and help others is a whole other level of commitment What made you want to do that? What was important about that to you?
1: You know, the reason I started The Lynn House was because i looked around and it was originally in newport beach and i looked around in newport and you know there's the betty fords and there's the overpriced places in malibu and there's the this in newport and the that's and there wasn't a place where women could go without insurance and there's a lot of women running around who don't have a 30-day place to go who don't have money and don't have insurance. You know, they're living in their
0: car or they're on the street. Well, let's stop for a second since you bring it up. Right now in Huntington Beach, one mm-hmm. of the hot-button issues is homelessness. Absolutely. A lo- like a lot of communities. But Absolutely. Huntington, Huntington, it's really um, expanded from what it was even just a year ago. Right. And it's a lot of young women on the street. Absolutely. It's a lot of young mothers. Absolutely. It's a lot of people that, um, for whatever reason, for some it's drugs, for some it's just destitution and everything in between. Right. When you look at that today... What do you think? What can, I mean, again. What do
1: I think caused it, or what do I think you can do about it?
0: Well, both. I mean, not that you can solve it here, but what's your take on the cause, and maybe how do you okay. start to think about how people could be helped, how young so, women could be helped? So there? I'll
1: tell you what we did. The Lynn House, you know, a lot of those sobriety homes, quote, unquote, have closed, okay? So the Lynn House, we have got a permanent residence in a neighborhood because we are classified as a shelter and we are a shelter and we get to keep our permanent residence we are very limited on beds but we are free for 30 days right no no alcohol no drugs
0: how are the neighbors in the area because that's, that's the a-
1: neighbors are fabulous and okay. we are a fabulous neighbor We are a fabulous See, this is the
0: issue because, again, it becomes very sensitive when you want to put a home up. Residents are understandably concerned about what that might bring into the neighborhood.
1: Right, and that's because these little houses that Johnny and Janie have opened up are not supervised. They charge $1,000 a month for a bed, and they put bunk beds in, and they jam all these people in, and they're smoking on the streets, and they're, they're parking here, and they're parking there. The Lynn House isn't like that at all. We don't let a million people in there. And because we don't charge, we are highly supervised. And, you know, it's 30 days, and then we also sponsor... This is all by out,
0: donation? It's yes. all funded by donation?
1: And grants. Okay? We're also a non-profit. And so, you know, we are ran very, very well by board of directors. We have... Grown ups on our board, and we're not ran by these people. Now, I believe a, a lot of Orange County homelessness um, has to do with unfortunately a lot of these detox and these hospitals that are drug hospitals have brought people in and they call body brokerage. Now, I'm a, what we call a recovery coach, and body brokerage is they bring people in from other states into these rehabs. And after their insurance runs out, it's like, boom, on the street. And these people go out and they start doing opioids or meth. And now they have nowhere to go and no way to get back home. So they're literally homeless doing drugs on the streets. And so a lot of these cities have got an influx of homelessness doing drugs. And so right now, like Florida, California, they're really coming down on what they call body brokerage, which is... People are paying people to fill up these detoxes, and yeah, fill up these detoxes and fill up these these hospitals. And we've got them in Huntington, Newport Beach, all over Florida, and Malibu right now. And that's what happens. And that's why I really believe you see a big influx. And then we also have what we call dual diagnosis. So you've got you've got a people with so-called. Uh, Um, whether it's bipolar, but we've got mental issues and drug issues. So now they can't afford to get their meds and they're on drugs. So now we've got them talking to themselves, walking around on the streets, on drugs, homeless. Sound familiar in Huntington?
0: Big time.
1: There you have it. Big time. So we have to find shelters for them and they have to be monitored.
0: Donna, you also include in the book things to look out for so parents maybe can help avoid these traps for kids or young people can help avoid some of the traps you fell into, whether it's being groomed um, by, uh, by a celebrity or, or any other kind of adult, whether it's um, not becoming an alcoholic at an early age or at least succumbing to uh, being wired that way. Why, why did you want to make that part of your book? A memoir would have been enough. There's a lot of amazing stories in this book. But you were adamant about putting things in here that could help people. What was the, your thinking behind that?
1: I think it's really important to know signs of grooming. And, you know, I think the number one thing about grooming right now is online, especially for minors. And um, I'm a mother. I have a 24-year-old son. Um, and it's really hard to monitor your kids online but you have to do it. And the other thing is, I think it's really important that if you want to keep your kids safe, you have to be educated on grooming. My parents weren't educated. They didn't know better, so they couldn't do better. And that's a reality. I don't blame them for what happened. They just didn't know better. That's all. Now bless their hearts, they didn't know better.
0: Recently, Bill Cosby on I think it was on Father's Day or right around Father's Day, he he or his people or some combination thereof began tweeting from prison. <laughs> um, which what was a great
1: daddy as I am the American dad I'm coming was back.
0: Really weird. It was this sort of rehabilitation thing they're trying to do, and he they had some tweets after that about um, you know getting justice and sort of if not going after his the women he preyed upon, this sort of, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. One part of it is he's trying to to rehabilitate. Another part is he's kind of defiant about what's going on, and he's almost fighting back. What's your take? Because you knew him well. Oh, yeah. What's your take on, mentally, where he may be coming from right now? Look, he's in his early 80s, I think, so... He's kind of nearing the end of the line probably He's probably going to spend the rest of his life in jail What do you think he's thinking about That's resulting in this kind of new outreach That he's making
1: You know he, I, Okay so people always ask me Why I didn't get on the band With all those women right. In fact I've got to tell you I had some uh, pushback from some of those women Who said why didn't you come out and tell your story And march the, the courts And blah 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 and, You know I know him well and he is very vengeful, very vengeful. And I'm thinking, I'm not going there. I had to heal myself, and by healing myself, had nothing to do with him. I don't, And a lot of people may not understand that. And by healing myself, I had to forgive him for what he did and understand that what he did was not about me, but it was about Him not being a whole person. Meaning that he's got a hole in his soul so big that he needs to, whether it's victimize people or take from people or whatever it is, that he's just really spiritually sick. And unfortunately, I was a victim of his spiritual sickness. And so it continues today. And I, I had to get in touch with that in order for me to forgive him. And that makes me a whole person.
0: What's interesting, what's always struck me about him, is the lack of any kind of remorseness. It's his sickness. There's, there's nothing. I mean, even if he said, look, if, if, if I, you know, the old school kind of, if I did this, it's sort of a, a non-apology apology, but, mm-hmm. but if I heard this It's an
1: OJ thing. If, you yeah, you right. don't even get
0: that from him. It's outright denial. And it, it's it's really strange to me that he doesn't even acknowledge something might be wrong.
1: It's a hole in his soul. And he, I don't know what happened in his youth. I mean, I know a little bit what happened in his youth. But there was something fundamentally different in him than most people. And that's okay because, you know what? We're all made differently. And had... It not happened to me, I would never have been able to reach out to help other women, and that is what I was meant to do on this earth. And so it's okay.
0: That's one of the first things you told me a couple of years ago we started working on this, was that had this not happened, not that you relished it or looked no, at it as no, a good no, no, thing, no, but no. but had it not happened, you may not have discovered your true self, the person that wanted to go out and help people.
1: Right, I had to learn through all these things about my own innate value and worth and self-esteem and all those things so I could go out and love all these women and and teach them their value and that they're equal to other people in the world. And that's... So his his whole... Made me completely whole Through forgiveness And that's what That's maybe what it was all about I don't know But that's what it was about for me
0: The last thing is When we first sat down And talked about doing your book You were really scared about it There were a couple of false starts Where you thought you didn't want to do it So we stopped doing it Do you
1: remember I wasn't even going to add The story about Cosby in the book Do you remember that? Absolutely I said we we don't need to put that in It's not even part of the story I remember you looked at me When I told you about Cosby And I went What? What? Wait a minute Donna What? (laughs)
0: <laughs> Only because Not because I mean look It's sensational But it also So much of your future Hinges on that relationship It really does I mean We wouldn't be sitting here today If mm-hmm. that would happen and, but I guess my question is, you were so concerned uh, along so many parts of doing it. I mean, you wanted to write a book, but then you became concerned about how it might be perceived by the public. It, we're sitting here now. Here's a few copies of your book. How do you feel looking at it? Are you happy you did it? Are you happy that it's here? It's a physical thing, that it's out in the world? Anybody can go read your book today.
1: You know, let me tell you a story that's happened, okay? So... I kept getting these calls and this stuff from people who read it and they're going, oh my God, Donna, I'm so sorry. They've read like 30 pages in. They go, oh my God, Donna, oh my God, I've read it. I can't put it down. They're crying. They are just emotionally it's intense. beat. They're crying and I'm going, what are they reading? What are they reading? So I'm laying in bed with my husband. And I'm going, what is going on? So I went in the closet where I've got the stack of books and I got in bed and I opened the book and I start reading. I'm going, honey, have you read this? I'm turning the page. I'm going, this is tragic. Oh my God, have you read this, honey? Oh my, this is horrific. Oh my God, this is terrible. Have you read this stuff? <laughs> and I was like, I hadn't like really read it from the beginning into a couple pages, and I couldn't believe that that was my life because we wrote it, Chris but I had never really picked it up and looked at it. And I went, my God, I can't believe I lived through
0: that. For those that get through the really tumultuous first half to three quarters, which is a crazy, wild roller coaster, there is an amazing ending. It's a very happy ending. A, a glorious, triumphant ending. <laughs> well, there is, right? I
1: know, I know. I mean, I
0: think that's what makes it... A lot of the feedback I get is that Mm -hmm. they're so relieved When they read about the happy ending Because these stories oftentimes are not happy I
1: mean, I look like this nice girl That, you know, would You'd like to have over for a dinner party (laughs) You know, help you To do your gardening
0: (laughs) So you're happy you did it
1: Absolutely I wouldn't have it any other way And I'm happy you were my co-writer The most
0: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Donna Spear discussing our new book, Naked Truth. You can get the book on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. And uh, again, we give you a little taste of it in this conversation, but uh, I hope you can check it out. It's getting a lot of attention. The reviews have been wonderful. And again, I'm very proud of Donna for being able to, to dig deep and put this story out there. In the meantime, I'm Chris Epting. I appreciate you listening, and I'll be back really soon with another edition of In the Pipeline, a Huntington Beach podcast.